0: Well, our study this morning will be in Luke chapter 24, so Luke chapter 24, and yes, we will cover the whole chapter, but as you're finding Luke 24, I I just want to remind you that on Palm Sunday, last Sunday morning, I posed a question. I said, if Jesus truly offered God's kingdom to the world, then why are things the way they are today? Why isn't Jesus?" ruling now. Like what the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, he is, has all authority, but we don't see all things under his feet yet, right? He hasn't crushed everything under his feet yet. We see things that are rebellion against the Lord. We see disobedience. We see all these things, and he's not immediately stepping in to deal with that. So why is that the case? And we explained at the end of the service that it's because all of humanity rejected Jesus, The statement was the same, we'll not have this man to rule over us. No. And humanity has been perpetuating that decision, saying those words one way or another for 2,000 years. Not your way, my way. Not you, king, me as king. But despite that reality, it would be incorrect to say that everything ended on Good Friday. Yes, they rejected Jesus, and yes, he went to the cross for us. But Jesus wasn't a martyr for some cause. While our sin did put Jesus on the cross and into the tomb, no one took Jesus' life from Him. He made that very clear. The King of all kings, the King of all kingdoms willingly laid His life down for us, and then three days later, He took it back. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Luke 24. So, Luke 24. We'll begin our study in earnest in verse 13, but we do need to get the context And if you look at the first 12 verses, we see that early Sunday morning as the sun was rising, some of the women who followed Jesus came to the tomb and they were bringing the fragrant oils they prepared for his burial. But when they arrived, they found that the stone was already rolled away from the tomb and Jesus' body was missing. And instead of finding Jesus, they met two angels who explained what was going on. We see their words in verses 5 through 7. It says in verse 5 of Luke 24, and as they were afraid and bowed their faces down to the earth, it says that they, the angel said unto them, the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He's risen. And then note what they say. Remember how He spoke unto you when He was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. They explained to these ladies who had come early to anoint Jesus' body for burial, they explained, the king already told you, he told his subjects exactly what would happen. But all they heard was, Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. That's all they heard. Once they hear that part, it was over, because they couldn't fathom anything past death, I remember I, I had a youth leader years ago, and, and, and they were a, a nurse, and they were ministering to a, a long-term care individual, an older gentleman, and, uh, and he'd had serious surgery, and he was it was a long-term recovery. And so it was on, he'd, she, uh, she had gotten to know him, and, and, uh, and over time, you know, as he's recovering and he was leaving, it was his last day, and she said to him, what, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do next? And she said, well, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy being healthy for a bit. And, okay, what next? And He says, "Well, I'm, I'm probably gonna retire. I, I can't really work uh, forever. You know, clearly this is taking a toll." And she said, "Well, then what next?" And he said, "Well, I'll, I'll probably go on go on vacation. You know, I'll I will go see some things we've never done, travel some places we've never been to with my wife." And and what next? Well, then I've got a lot of grandkids. I'll probably just you know spend the remaining days with my grandkids. And she goes, "Well, what next?" And he said, "Well, then I, I imagine I'll probably die." And then she said, "And what next?" We don't don't plan for what's next, usually. Death is the end, right? I mean, that's that's how we tend to operate. So when Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and arrested and he's going to be crucified, that was it. They didn't listen to the rest of the words because they couldn't see anything, could fathom anything past death, not even from the one that they believed was the promised king. But now, after the angels remind them of what Jesus said, look at verse 8. It says, and they what? they remembered His words. Wasn't it they didn't hear them? They didn't lay hold of them. And so now, after the angels remind them, they remember. And you know what? This might be the first time anyone, anyone of Jesus' followers believed His actual claim of being the King, instead of just believing that Jesus fit their expectation of who the King would be. But they wouldn't be the last to come to that realization. Because when they go back to tell everyone that they've met angels and that the angel said Jesus is alive, they go back and no one believes them. We read that in verses 10 through 12. You can read the details on your own. We know from another gospel, Peter and John go to the tomb. John steps inside the tomb and immediately believes he's the only one. But then Peter walks out and he's just perplexed. He doesn't understand what's going on. And then we get to verse 13 and we see that two... Other disciples who heard the woman's testimony—it's fascinating—all the responses to their testimony, right? You got two who run immediately to him; the rest of them are just kind of twiddling their thumbs. And then you got these two dudes who just says, "We out, we're out of here." They decide not just to leave the city, but to travel seven miles away to a village called Emmaus. Verse thirteen: and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about. Three score furlongs, which is about seven miles. I don't know exactly what they plan to do at Emmaus. I don't know if they maybe had prior plans to go to Emmaus. All I know is they leave Jesus behind in Jerusalem. And if you believe Jesus is still alive, you're not going anywhere. But they don't. And yet, they can't stop thinking about Jesus. Look at verse 14. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. Now, they're talking about everything that's happened. They talked about Jesus' arrest, the triumphant entry, probably the whole ministry that they'd followed him. Then they talk about his crucifixion. And then now the news that the ladies, they've gone to the tomb, angels have met them, and they say Jesus is alive, but nobody saw a body. And so the word here, reason, it means to have a back and forth dialogue. There are moments where they're, they're coming up and they're coming down in the dialogue. They're talking, you're like, what do you think about all that? What do you mean what I think about all that? Dead's dead, man. Yeah, but I mean, but they've been with us the whole time. They're not crazy. Well, Yeah, I know they're not crazy, but dead's dead, man. Yeah, I know you're right. Dead's dead. They're going back and forth. I don't know what the words were, but they're having this conversation back and forth. And they're just, the more and more they talk, they're just getting more and more down. And as they're having this conversation back and forth, while that's going on, Jesus pulls up beside them. Me and Ethan were, were driving today, this morning, to come to, to the early service, and this guy pulls up in a motorcycle right besides us, you know, and he's all decked out. He, like, looks cool as all could be. Like, every, every kid is like, I want to be that guy. Here's when Ethan's looking over, and he's like, and the guy goes, yeah, you know? Yeah, he just pulls on up, and then, you know, he's off, you know, because I'm in a Corolla. So... <clears throat> In that day, it was not weird if you were walking on the sidewalk or whatever to have somebody come just walk up beside you. Like today, somebody comes up walking up beside me. I'm thinking, how do I take them out quickly? Back then, you didn't travel alone. You traveled in large groups because that was how you stayed safe. And also, the culture was different. It was not uncommon for you just to walk up and join a conversation. It's not like today. We're like, we're clearly having a private conversation. There was no such thing back then. If you're walking around, it's a public conversation. As the Middle East is just a different culture, still is today. And so Jesus walks up. He doesn't say anything right away. He doesn't join the conversation. But he does do something. Look at verse 16. It says, but their eyes were holden, the King James says, that they should not recognize him. They should not know him. Now, that phrase, we're holden, it doesn't doesn't tell us exactly what he did. What he did is where it says that they could not recognize him. The phrase, we're holden, it refers to the ability to cause a condition on the basis that you have the authority and the power to enforce that condition. In other words, there was a reason they didn't recognize him. It's It's not because Jesus dyed his hair or he's wearing different clothes. It's because he made it so they wouldn't recognize him. Now, I wish I had that ability. There are numerous occasions when I would wish that I could just go walk around. Like every one of those moments when you go into the store and then you're walking out and someone's like, hey, and for me, it's, hey, Pastor Will. And I'm thinking to myself, was I nice to the cashier? Was I nice? You know, I'm thinking, did I do anything? Not good. Be nice to be able to disappear every once in a while, you know, or not be recognized. When I'm coming home with stuff for Valentine's Day or flowers for for Bev or whatever, you kind of got to gauge it. You got to kind of, you know, sneak in. You got to look like through the window. Where is everybody? You pop open the door just a bit. Okay, she's down there. All right, I'm good. It'd be nice to have this ability to just be like, no one can, no one recognizes me right now, but I don't have that ability. Do you have that kind of ability over people? No. Presidents, prime ministers, kings, queens, billionaires, they have power, they have authority, but not this kind of power. And when we consider what Jesus does here, whatever power we do have as human beings is minuscule by comparison. We don't have time this morning to get into all the reasons why Jesus did this, but I'd like you to consider this. Just like the women who came to the tomb had dismissed Jesus' words before his death these men, too, had dismissed and I shall rise again the third day because they didn't believe Jesus was that kind of king, the king with this kind of power. He was a king of their own making, a king of their own imagination, and any time we make Jesus, we created Jesus out of our own mind, we make him less than he actually is. And so, for sure, I can tell you by doing this, Jesus wants us to know because they don't know this. These words are here for us. They came back, we didn't recognize them, but they didn't go, we didn't recognize them because he made it so we couldn't recognize them. They didn't know that. That's written there for our benefit. He wants us to know they were wrong. I am that kind of a king. Well, in verse 17, Jesus finally speaks up, and he said to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk in our Sad. Like, what kind of conversation is this that you're so sad? Like, this doesn't sound like a conversation that should be sad. I I think Jesus is asking a legitimate question. I mean, after the news the the women gave to you, why would you be so gloomy? Why are you still going back and forth about this? If the Messiah is alive, that's good news, right? And I I love one of these guys' response because it's our response when the Lord's like, hey, my word says this, and I'm like, Lord, I remember... (sighs) Me and Bev, we, we were engaged at the time, and we had just graduated from Bible college, and her car needed major repairs if we were going to get home. And so she's like, Well, we've got to take this to the Lord. And I'm like, What's the Lord going to do? Give us a new car? <laughs> and some of you have heard me tell this story many times. You know how that goes. We went home to get married, graduated. About a month later, we had our wedding day. And at the reception of our wedding day, we spent all this money, went into debt to do it, by the way, to fix the car, needed a new transmission. At our reception, a gentleman walks up to us. He goes, hey, you know that, not just a car, by the way, you know that convertible I have? He goes, the Lord told me to give it to you. The Lord shall supply all your needs through his riches and glory. Right? And sometimes he goes even way above and beyond that. But Cleopas's response, this is one of them, Cleopas responded and said, it's incredulous. One of them answering him said, are you only a stranger in, in Jerusalem? You have not known the things which are come to pass in these days? I mean, you, you would have to have your head under a rock to not know why we're going back and forth about this. Everyone's talking about this. And then I love Jesus' response. He said unto them, what things what's everyone talking about, Cleopas? I had, I don't know, it was like two, three weeks ago, and I was really down for a couple days, and, and Bev's like, what's going on? And I just said to her, I said, you know what? I think I just need to get off the news. I think I just need a break. Seriously, guys, we serve a risen Savior. What things are we talking about? What things have us all up in arms and confused and we're like, I don't know, I don't know, you know? I mean, we look, at that, look out there like somehow like God's out of control or that he's not powerful or he's not alive. They're going to take stuff from us. So? I serve the king who, who owns everything. And nothing happens to me that doesn't pass through his hands. I'm not saying that's okay for people to do. Don't understand what I'm not saying but my point is we don't need to be all up in arms and worried about this stuff. My life is his. He owns everything. He's the king of all kingdoms. He's the king of all kings. My life is his. And if he were to count me worthy to suffer for his name, well, that's a part of serving the king, isn't it? What things, Jesus asks Isn't it fascinating that Cleopas, in his answer, he gives the same answer that we saw Jesus' followers give after the triumphant entry, when people said, who is this? And they said, well, this is Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet from Galilee. Look at what Cleopas says. He says, well, they said unto him, well, not just Cleopas, they both say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. What do you mean, what things? It's about Jesus, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. If you go back to Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11, it says the same thing. When he was coming to Jerusalem and all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And the multitude said, well, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. In other words, these guys' opinion about Jesus hadn't changed. It hadn't changed in those three days. And so, he says... Jesus, a prophet, he came and he was mighty, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and and they've crucified him. He's dead. It's over. Nothing had changed in these guys' mind from the triumphant entry to today. Jesus was still just a prophet. Even though they had been hoping he was more, which is why they're sad. Verse 21. But we, we, we weren't just part of the crowd we were his followers. We thought he was the guy. We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the third day since these things were done. It's, it just happened three days ago. It's still, the disappointment, the confusion, it's still pretty raw. And then to add to the problem, verse 22... Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished. They said shocking things, crazy things, which were early at the tomb. And when they found not His body, they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of the angels which said He was alive. And then certain of those which were with us, they went to the tomb, and they, they did find it like the women said, but they didn't see Him. So that's why we're talking. No, no body. They made a claim, but it's ridiculous, right? Right? I mean, none of us have seen him. Surely if he was alive, he would have come to one of us, right? You see, similar to the women who visited the tomb where they didn't see a body, they assumed he was still dead. They didn't assume that the body had moved, like the body was moving again. They didn't remember Jesus' teaching about the resurrection because they had never believed it which is why Jesus responds so severely in verse 25. Jesus educates them on His kingship, and He said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all of the prophets have spoken, ought. In other words, is it not necessary for Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into His glory? I don't know about you, but if somebody calls me a fool, it gets my attention for good or bad. But the word fool here is interesting, and the fool, a word fool in the Scripture, it, it doesn't, it's, not, and it's an insult, but it's not in the same way that we tend to think of it. Like, we think of someone who's foolish as just someone who's unintelligent. You're just, you're just something intrinsically wrong with you. But the word fool here in the Bible, it means someone who is unwilling to use the mental fa- uh, facilities they have in order to understand something. In other words, it's not capability that's a problem, It's the willingness that's a problem. It's not an ear problem. It's a heart problem. Oh, you who are unwilling to believe everything that the prophets have spoken, everything I said, which brings up an important question. How does a person call themselves a follower of Jesus, even consider him to be a prophet, if they don't believe what he says? It's a good question, isn't it? How does one call themselves a follower of Jesus, and he, he's, a, you know, he's a prophet. I, I believe he speaks for God, but I actually don't believe everything he says. I mean, he told us he was going to be arrested and be betrayed, die. I believe that, but not the rise from the dead part. That's crazy. How does a person think he's the promised king if they're unwilling to bend the knee to his rule? Do you remember, Peter, when Jesus first announced to the disciples what was going to happen when they went to Jerusalem? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed, arrested, crucified, rise again. And Peter said, not so, Lord. No, that's not happening. I won't let it happen. And of course, Jesus had to respond similarly, fairly, you know, kind of not beat around the bush with his answer. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. That, that's, that idea is not from the Lord. is a conundrum, isn't it? Well, I follow Jesus. Yeah, but you don't believe what he says. Oh, he's a prophet, but you don't really believe it because you don't don't believe all his words. So what is it that you believe? It's a conundrum. So Jesus walks them through the scriptures to show them exactly who he is. Verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them, explained to them, in all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. From out of all the prophets, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, Jesus explained every prophecy about Himself. Now, that's a Bible study I'd like to hear. But I guarantee you, this wasn't the first time they'd heard teaching on those Scriptures. Not the first time at all. The problem was they'd blocked them out because those scriptures didn't fit their idea of the promised king. Now, we studied on Good Friday why Jesus needed to die. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. And so the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That iniquity, that rebellion that's in our hearts, that's in all of our hearts. It says, I'll not have this man to rule over me. The danger is, is that we can decide and say, well, Jesus, I believe you're this kind of a king, and I'll let you rule over this area, but not everything, because I don't believe everything you say. Or Jesus, you know, I believe you're a prophet, that, that you spoke some things for God, but not everything you said. The problem is, is that's not the same Jesus. That's a different Jesus, a Jesus that doesn't exist. And so this time, when Jesus teaches them, they finally listen. So just like the women earlier in the day, they begin to believe Jesus' actual claim of being the king instead of just believing that Jesus was the guy who fit their expectation of who the king should be. And then they finally realize that if Jesus is this promised king that the scriptures describe, if the scriptures about him are really true, then even death can't stop him. Note their words when they finally realize it's Jesus all along. We won't go into all the verses, but they pull aside into a village, they have dinner, they convince Jesus to stay because he makes like he's going to keep going. No, come stay with us. And they want to hear more. And so they stay. And then Jesus breaks the bread and he passes it around, which would have made two things very visible. I don't know if that's what opened their eyes or if he just decided I'm going to let them recognize me now. Either way, it works. But the moment they recognize Jesus, he vanishes out of their sight. And in verse 32, they said to one another. Now it's a different back and forth dialogue. Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? What happened for three and a half years? Because the heart was slow to believe. It didn't believe. But now it was different. That word, uh, to burn, it means to continually ignite. Every time Jesus would take them through the Scriptures, another part of the Scriptures about Him, it's, it's like lighting a fire again or pouring lighter fluid on it. Just It kept being reignited again and again and again and again. Bit by bit, the truth of who the Messiah was, that power ignited their hearts, not with a hope that Jesus would be what they wanted Him to be, but with the reality of who the king of kings was and the fact that the king of all kingdoms was in their midst And so that even though it was dangerous to travel this late at night, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles, verse 33, and they rose up the same hour immediately and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 gathered together and those that were with them. So they find everybody's all together, but they can't even get a word in because as soon as they get there, they were already talking about something. They said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. When they get there, they can't share their story because Jesus apparently already appeared to Peter. Now, wait a second. How's that possible? If Jesus has been with these two guys most of the trip, how do you have time to meet with Peter, who's still in a Jerusalem that's seven miles away? Well, they get their answer in just a second. They tell their story, and then verse 36 says, as they thus spoke, as they're telling the story about what Jesus just did, Jesus is like, shalom. <laughs> Boom, he just appears right in their midst and says, and he has to say shalom because they're not thinking shalom. I had the other day, I was in my office, and, and I was dialed in, man. I was like, I was studying, I was dialed in. I keep my door open most of the time, but I was dialed in, my door was open, and I, all of a sudden I hear, Pastor Will. I was like, hearing things, whatever, tapping away. Then I hear it again, Pastor Will. I'm like, I, I, saw, I, I thought somebody, and I turn over, and there's an individual who's serving at the church, and, and they were just saying hi, but I didn't think they were saying hi. I I didn't expect a person to be there. And I immediately just jumped. You know, I was like, ah, I almost fell out of my chair. (laughs) Immediately, I was like, oh, okay, it's just so-and-so. This is good. It's not a bad thing. They're not expecting Jesus to be there. They were terrified, verse 37 says, affrighted, thought he was a ghost. I can't do that. I can't just pop in on people no human being can Jesus could spend all his time walking and talking with these two and still meet with Peter way back in Jerusalem because he's not like any other human being He has power over the grave and he has power to be anywhere he wants to be as soon as he wants to be Cuz he's not just the king of England he's not just the president of the United States he, like all these things that, that we would look at as you know titles that are important or positions of power he's not just a prime minister of a country He's the king of all kings. Lord of all lords. No other king can claim to do this. No other ruler can contend with this. Now, Jesus had been telling them that the entire time, but it's only now that they finally believe. Jesus puts them at ease for a few verses. They have a meal together. He say, hey, got anything to eat? He puts them at ease. I'm not a ghost. You know, I'm flesh and blood. Touch me. And then in verse 44, we see he re-explains to them. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was still with you, that all things might be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. This is everything I I've had been, I've been teaching you for three and a half years, but let's, let's cover it again. Verse 45, then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. He taught them again all the way from start to finish. And this time, this time they finally believe. Now, this is the part where we need to pause and we need to do some self-examination. We need to ask ourselves some important questions because it's easy in the last two Sundays and Good Friday to look at the disciples and be frustrated with them, be critical of them, to look at The religious leaders in Israel and be frustrated with them. To look at the Romans, be frustrated with them, to critique them. But the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is what do I believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Because what you believe about Jesus is going to impact how you respond to the end of this chapter. Is Jesus a king that you fashioned out of your own thoughts of what a king should be? Or is he the king of kingdoms? Of all kingdoms, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one with the power over the grave and therefore the one with power over you. Which one is it? Is it a king you fashioned with your own mind? You've crafted with your own mind and say, well, he's like this. Not like this, even though the Bible says he's like this, but he's like this. Which one is it? Because those are two very different Jesuses. Is he just a prophet? And therefore you can believe some of the things he says, but don't have to believe everything he says? Or is He the promised Son of God, become a man in fulfillment of all the Scriptures? You see, if if my conception of Jesus is similar to the disciples, the one the disciples had before His resurrection, then I'm going to become disillusioned with God when He doesn't meet my expectations of how I think He should treat me. I I won't look to Him as as the answer for the problems I'm facing in life. I, I will lean on my own understanding. But in contrast, if I see Jesus as the king of all kings, of all kingdoms, the one with power over the grave, well, then all those words become very important to me, don't they? They matter because he's not just some dude. He's not just some guy. He's not, there are people that have spoken into my life over the years. I've had bosses that I've, I've learned from their example of, man, that's, a, that's how you lead people or that's how you, you handle a business or that's how you conduct yourself in society. But then there were other things I would see and i go, yeah, but I don't agree with that or that's not right. I would do it that way. I've had mentors, I've had people who've influenced my life I've thought, man, they have, I, I want to be like them in this way, this way, and this way, but not every way because there are flaws there too, right? So is Jesus just like another one of those people? Because that's not who he says he is. He says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when I see him that way, I'll be convinced he knows what he's talking about. And that he also has the authority and the power to make it happen. Why is that important? Now, well, Paul the Apostle said two very interesting things about the power of Jesus' resurrection. You can study these passages a little bit more in your own time, but Philippians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 1, Paul brings up the power of the resurrection in both those passages. In, in Philippians chapter 3, I'm just summarizing for you, but Paul says, I had it all figured out. I had life figured out. I, I had my plan in place and I had done everything I needed to do to achieve that plan. I had accomplished all my goals. I was sitting in the spot that I was designed to be in, that I had designed for myself to be in. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, member of the Sanhedrin. I, I was faithful. People looked up to me. I, had, I, I, was, I was Concerning the law, I was blameless. I had achieved everything I set out to do. And now he says, I consider it all Rubbish. For what? He said, I leave all these things behind for the pursuit of knowing Him, the high calling of knowing Jesus, that I may know Him and the what? The power of His resurrection, being made conformable to His death. He says, I have not attained that for which I was, I have not apprehended that for which I was apprehended. I haven't reached the goal yet of knowing Him that is my pursuit now, and I leave all these other things behind. I was on this path, but not anymore. My pursuit now is to know Jesus. I want to experience Him. I want to know Him. I want to experience the power of His resurrection. I want to live a life in light of His resurrection. The second time that Paul mentions it is in Ephesians chapter 1, when he's reciting a prayer that he prayed for the Ephesian believers. He says, I'm praying that you would know I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? Like if you believe today, Paul says, you need to understand something. I pray that, that, I pray that for the Ephesian believers that you would understand something, that, that there's a power of God directed towards us. And it's according to, he says, the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and put all things under his feet. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available and directed toward you in whatever you're going through right now. Paul wanted to know Jesus, to live in his power, and he wanted others to experience the same. And with that in mind, I want to finish Luke 24. So Luke 24, Jesus, after he gives the Bible study, he gives the exhortation, where do we go from here? Where do we go after the resurrection? In verse 46 of Luke 24, he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved or was necessary for Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day. This is is it, guys. See, that's the end of the study. But then he goes on. And we don't stop here. I don't stop with the rising of the dead. He says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In other words, he says, you have a job to do, to go out and preach two things, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, to preach among all nations, repentance And that forgiveness of sins is possible in Jesus' name. What does that mean? What is repentance? It means to change one's mind. You need to go out and tell people, like I'm telling you right now, you don't have to continue living as a rebel to God. You don't have to serve a God who isn't real because you've created him out of your own head and your own heart. You can recognize your rebellion and you can decide to turn away from it because there's someone waiting with open arms if you do. You see, the king who has power to lay down his life and to take it right back again, he does not hate you and he doesn't want you to perish. He wants to forgive you and he will if you'll repent and place your trust in him and what he did for you on the cross. That's why we call it good news. The king who has power over death invites you to be part of his team of witnesses, to know him intimately and then to tell others of his great love, just like I'm telling you right now. If you don't know the Lord today, or if, or if you, maybe you've been in church, or maybe you've been religious, maybe you've even read a Bible, but the Jesus that you've been following is a Jesus of your own creation, and it's not the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, including you, then I want to challenge you this morning to repent. Repent. To stop being a rebel. To stop conjuring a God out of your own mind. And to turn to the one who loves you and offers forgiveness for everything. Who offers an intimate relationship with him where you can know the power of his resurrection. In a moment, we're going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision. And my encouragement to you is, don't say no. Now, to those of us who believe... We could read the end of Luke 24. It doesn't give all the details, though. Matthew actually is the one who tells us the last thing Jesus said to the disciples, and it's this. All power and all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, because I have all power, because I have all authority, because I'm alive, lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. Have you experienced the power of Christ's resurrection? Because if you have, you know this means everything. We serve a living God. You know that's what this is all about. And so embrace him moving forward from this Easter Sunday. Celebrate him. Worship him because he is the king of all kingdoms. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, we hail you as king this morning. It's your right. You're worthy. Lord, whether we do it or not, it doesn't change who you are. You are the king of all kings, Lord of all lords. And so, Lord, we, we recognize that this morning. We choose to say, Lord, I'm not the king and we choose to believe your words, all your words. You are exactly who you claim to be, that all your words matter, they're important. So if we're going through challenges in our marriage or in our family or our job or you know, our, our personal life, we know we can look to you, the one who can conquer death, the one who has conquered death, the one who just need speak the word. And then, Lord, recognize that you have already spoken words in all those areas, that will follow you in all those areas we can experience that powerful resurrection life in ourselves. We want that, Lord, and we yield to that. We celebrate you this morning. And then, Lord, I don't, I don't know every heart here this morning, but you do. And so with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you want to repent of your sins and turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to place your trust in him and follow him in truth. Just lift your hand high because as you're making that decision this morning, I'd like to pray with you. Amen. I see someone over there. Amen. See you in the back. Anybody else this morning? Amen. See you over here on the left. Just letting you know that I I see that you're making this decision and Jesus said, whoever confesses me before man, I'll confess him before my Father in heaven. Anybody else this morning before we close? Lord, you see every hand that's raised. You know every heart. And so I pray for those individuals who said, Lord, I repent. I don't want to be a rebel anymore. You are this king. I believe it. I believe all your words, and I want to follow you with my life. Lord, will you wash them clean? Will you make them your child, make them born again right now, and and then draw them close to your side that they might begin that journey of truly knowing you? We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. amen.